Good morning. Welcome to Midtown West. I'm Matt. I'm the pastor here. I'm glad you all are here. And Tokes brought to my attention that today is the one-year anniversary of being at Aiken. So that's huge. Y'all, if you, if you missed that chapter of the life of this congregation, that's such a huge deal because we looked for literally two years for a space and also COVID. Um, so this is just a, a huge celebration. So I'm going to pray for us and we'll get, get going. Father, we need you to slow us down. Need you to help us be present with you, with ourselves, with each other in this moment right here. Help us to not do what we do so easily and so naturally to live in the past and live in the future and be everywhere but right here where your spirit meets us, where you're always present with us, where life is happening. And you have called us to this place this morning because you have good purposes for us, because you love us, because you are drawing us, you are inviting us further in, further in to you and to your work in our lives and to your work, your mission in this world through us. How amazing is that? So Lord, we ask that you would, as Jess prayed, not leave us unchanged, that you would continue to keep your good promises, that you, as you send forth your word, as your spirit is present in us, working powerfully, that you would come and accomplish your purposes, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, but also in our very lives, in the core of my soul, that your will would be done, that you would continue to make me like you, that you would continue to set us free from our flesh, continue to set us free from our, our sin and our selfishness and our fear, and uh, just turn us loose in your love and your freedom. And use this, your word, use this sermon, use this uh, time of worship this morning to do that very thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so yeah, summer of love is over, and uh, we are <laughs> not talking about that anymore. Um, we, are, we are now in this series, we're going to go through the book of Acts, it's called Bearing Witness, but I want to tell you all, this week I had an experience that unfortunately is pretty common. I, I went out to my car one morning, my truck, and I, I saw my stuff everywhere. You know, the glove compartment was open, the middle, middle console was up, and just stuff was everywhere. But I was thinking about that, and I like to think that it's the same guy coming back every time, <laughs> and that we have a little bit of a relationship there. And what, what just kills me about this whole thing is there's never anything in there. Never. Like, I don't keep anything in there, thankfully, and I've never accidentally left anything in there. So this guy who comes back, and I don't know how he does it. I, actually, I think I do know how he does it because I don't always leave it unlocked. So I think he has one of those like signal bouncers, you know what I'm talking about? That if your key fob is within a certain range, they can bounce off the key fob. So FYI, you might want to take care of that. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, oh, that's what's happening. Um, but I just think about this, and I went through and I checked everything, and it's like, that stuff, those two compartments in my truck remain pretty much unchanged. So he's finding the same stuff every time, and he's not messing with it. He's not taking stuff that he could have taken. I have a pretty cool pocket knife that kind of lives in my truck, and I have a $2 bill. I don't know why. I do know why. 
but I'm not telling. And all that stuff is in there. It's like stuff that he could take, but he's not taking it, and he's not finding anything. And I thought, you know, what, that, what this guy needs is freedom from that rut. This guy needs to have something rescue him from putting on his favorite black sweats and coming to my house at 3 in the morning and looking through my truck because it's dead. There's nothing there. This little routine that he has is lifeless. It's not giving him what he wants. It's not giving him what he needs. I wish he would come at 8 p.m. and knock on the door and we could talk about whatever's going on. That's led him to this life of crime. Um, <laughs> this relatively mellow PG life of crime, which I'm thankful for. Um, you know, and I was thinking about that for us. This is a really great place for us to start as we go through this series of Acts. Because Acts is all about the mission of the church. And it made me think this week also about this thing that I've done. I, when I heard about this, that this was an option, that this existed, I was like, this is amazing. And I've used it twice. I've used it as we started this organization in Charlotte called the Charlotte Fellows Program. And I used it here as we started Midtown West, and it's called an exploring board. Have you ever heard of this? An exploring board is where you ask people to work and think and join you as if they are going to definitely join you on this thing that you're trying to do, but then you give them an out. And so maybe if you start in August, you say, hey, we're going to meet every week. Would you commit, commit to doing that? Would you commit to thinking about this with us? Would you commit to putting your hands to this work for three months? And then by Christmas, you can decide if you want to opt in or opt out. And it's magic because people are like, oh, yeah, three months, no big deal. But then every time, they always all stay. So it's been great. But I, wanna, I want to say to us, I believe that this series and what the Lord is leading us through this fall would be really healthy for every single one of us to consider this an exploring board of following him. Because I think there's a lot of confusion on what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what it means to follow him on the mission of God in this world. And there's this quote I came across in the last couple of weeks that I think is, is very helpful for us just to get conceptually things straight. And it's this, God does not have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. God does not have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. And it's this idea that I and we tend to separate what it is that there's a way that I could be a Christian, whatever that means to me, and that I could mentally assent maybe to some ideas, but that that could be separated from actually flesh and blood life following Jesus, that he is impacting my every day and I'm following him, I'm responding to him in my day-to-day -day life every day. And the way that he's leading me is to freedom, but he's also leading me on this mission that he has for the world. So we're going to jump into that, but first we're going to read our passage. And who's, who's reading this morning for us? Brian, come on up. Look at the Bennett's just getting in here with reading scripture. Welcome. Okay, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11. 
And then we're going to skip over and read chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about his suffering by, and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sounds, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of, of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them t telling in our own tongues the, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so I just want to say up front, we need the Lord's help, and I need mercy here, because there's so much in this passage, and we're not going to be able to get to all of it, but this is what I believe he wants us to zone in on this morning. So Acts is 
volume two of Luke's account. Luke was a physician. He was a Christian. He was an early follower. He was with some of the disciples, the uh, original apostles, which uh, the word apostles is is for this very specific set of men who were Jesus' first followers who followed him in his life, and they witnessed his life and his death and his resurrection. And so, so that's what that word means. And disciples are just followers of Jesus. So that is from the apostles until now. And so uh, volume, volume one of Luke's account of the life and work of Jesus was what we have in our Bibles as the gospel of Luke. And this is volume two. He's writing to this man, Theophilus, and probably other people as well. And he's also writing to us. He didn't know that at the time. But he is explaining this is the life and work of Jesus. This is what he taught. This is what he did. And this is what he is still doing. I love what it says here that in volume two, he he says in volume one, that's all that Jesus began to do and teach until his death and resurrection. That's amazing because the implied there is that volume two from the beginning of the book of Acts on is what Jesus continued to do and teach through the Holy Spirit and through his people from this point into whenever he comes back. And so, so we have this, this book called Acts, but the Acts of whom exactly? And we got, we got some options here. It's, it's certainly Jesus. He's continuing to teach and do from heaven. It says that for 40 days he offered uh, this, this term. Let's see, where is it? He presented himself alive to his apostles after his suffering by many proofs. And that word for proof is not just random proof. That is a legal technical term, which is he gave them enough proof to be convincing and clear, like we've established the fact that he's still alive. And so for 40 days, he was appearing to his apostles, convincing them with this proof, this you know, tight evidence that uh, he was still alive. And of course, that was absolutely necessary because the fact that he is raised from the dead is crazy. Nobody had ever seen anything like that. And so that was necessary for him to come with that. And so Jesus is still alive. He's still working in this world. But we could also say that this is a book about the acts and the workings of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to ask the Father, and when I go away, he's going to give you another helper to be with you forever, and he will teach you all things. And then we hear in this passage this reference to the fact that the Father, God the Father, had promised the Holy Spirit to his people long before Jesus said that in the Gospel of John. There's multiple places in the Old Testament where hundreds and hundreds of years before this, uh, prophets declared the truth of what was coming. And one example is from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. God is speaking and says, I will pour out my spirit on all of my people. There was a way in which God was going to be present in and with his people that was brand new, that had never happened up until this point that Jesus made it possible. Because God could never dwell that intimately with an unholy, sinful people, even though they were his people. But that's why everything that Jesus did was so necessary that Jesus took our sin on himself and he bled out so that the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus and his life was imputed to us. It says that we are covered by his blood. We are covered by his innocence, his perfect holy life. And so now because we stand united with Jesus, we are... We are covered by him. Uh, We are now made holy by the work that he has done. And the fact that he was raised from the dead means that the father said, yes, that's sufficient. That's good. I support this. 
And so now it is possible and it has indeed happened that the spirit of God is poured out and dwells in his people. And this has never happened up until this point. And so it's also the acts of the Holy Spirit. And it's certainly the acts of the apostles of Jesus. This is a book that follows um, the, the apostles of Jesus. It certainly focuses on Peter and on Paul. But, you know, it doesn't stop there. This is, this is a, a book that focuses really on beyond the apostles, the disciples of Jesus. And so this is a book that in some ways, in some ways of speaking, is not finished yet. It's like uh, in Lord of the Rings where Bilbo's writing his, his account there and back again, and he's, he leaves it unfinished. Because the truth is that the Holy Spirit is acting through Jesus' disciples, including us today. And, and we, in some sense, are adding to this book. So if you want to think about it like this, a, a really full title, uh, a, a more maybe appropriate title for this book is The Acts of Jesus through his disciples who are empowered by the Holy Spirit according to the will of the Father. That doesn't really roll off the tongue, but that's the most helpful, complete understanding of what are we talking about? Whose acts are this? And, and I love what's happening here in this chapter one section with the, uh, the apostles, with the disciples, with Jesus' followers, because it's really helpful for us to see ourselves in them because we're very much like them. They say, they ask Jesus this question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And so these are, these are men who have lived with Jesus. They've heard his teachings. They've seen him died and raised from the dead. They've, they've witnessed all of this stuff that we sit back and think, man, if, if only I had those experiences, then my life would feel different. Or I would be, it would be so much easier for me to access this relationship with Jesus if I had all this. And, and thankfully, what we see here is the answer is no, it wouldn't. <laughs> it actually would probably be harder for us to access everything that Jesus is saying and doing and being because now we have the Holy Spirit. And these guys were so lost. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they've been with him. They've been hearing him teaching about the kingdom of God, this mission of God that's going out into the world. For three years, that's all they've done is listen to this. And they, they still don't get it. And the, the implicit assumptions here in their question, uh, one is, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Jesus, you're going to do this thing. You're going to complete this mission, and we're just going to sit here and watch. Another implicit assumption here is that this is a much smaller thing than, than it really is. They can't wrap their heads around what this really is. They, they say, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're thinking old. They're thinking limited and small. They're thinking of this world. And they need help. They need help understanding. They need help moving on past this. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. There are things that are not for you to know, times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And I want to just pause here and, and recognize that Jesus is saying this to us. Because there are so many times in our lives where we say, yeah, yeah, but just one thing real quick. I need to understand this. Or I need to make sure that I'm okay with what you're asking me to do. And I want to see this all the way through on the other end before I agree to go with you, before I agree to do this. And we might not even recognize that we're doing it. But all the time, we are, we are demanding answers from Jesus. And we need to hear him say, 
it's not for you to know. There are things that are not for you to know because you cannot understand them. And it's not good for you to know these things. You know, I even think about in this passage as we look at these, this, we, we have referenced this 40-day period of Jesus making appearances to his disciples. And we think, well, why doesn't Jesus just do that with me? Why doesn't he just show up in the flesh and say, hey, here I am, resurrected. Just want to make sure that you got it down. But I want to stop, and, and it's easy to think about that because we're really good at self-centered thinking. But to, to pull that out to a 30,000-foot view and think about Jesus doing that to every person who's his in the history of the world from the time that he was resurrected. Jesus coming back, hey, hey just want to make sure you're good. Okay, yeah, hey, okay, one more. Just want to make sure I'm here. Yeah, that's, you know, you, you see the ridiculousness of that picture, that that's clearly not the plan, is that Jesus is not being busied with personal appearances. He does speak to us. He does move in our lives. But, you know, a lot of times we are demanding answers. We're demanding to see his power on our terms. And so we, we even, this concept of being on an exploring board is not foreign to us because a lot of times that's how we act anyway. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withhold this ultimate decision to really follow you and be all in until I kind of know some things from you. I want to make sure that you still kind of give me what I'm looking for. Still make sure that my life's going to go in the way that I actually originally had planned that has nothing to do with you or your plan for me or your kingdom, but just making sure that we can do both these things. We can accomplish both of these things. And Jesus is so kind and so patient with us. And he goes on to explain to his disciples and to us, yeah, that's not what's really going on here. And I love you so much, but you are not getting to drive this train. He says, you will receive power. Here's what's going to happen, and here's what you need to know about. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He's saying, you know, I know you have questions, but here's what you need to know right now. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm asking you to pay attention to. I will be with you the whole time. My spirit will be empowering you, but you will not be a spectator. You are going to be an integral, active part of the mission of God going out to the ends of the earth. And, you know, we hit on this last week, but remember why you're here. Jesus loves you so much, and he desires to be with you in perfect union and in perfect intimacy. And so we have to stop and ask, why am I still here then? And the answer is for other people. It's for people that don't know him yet. It must be good for them. And that must be why I'm still here. But also not just them, it also must be good for me. There's something that he wants to give us in leaving us here for a time as he sees fit to be engaged in this mission with him before we go to him and experience perfect union for all eternity. Remember that you are your beloved's and his desire is for you. Don't forget the summer of love. <laughs> you, are, you are not some hired hand that he's just looking for cheap labor. He loves you, loves you, loves you so deeply. And the fact that he is calling you and I on this mission together means that it must be very good for us to participate. And it must be very good for the people who are his but don't know that yet. 
So another question we need to ask that's important for us, because I think a lot of us get this confused right out of the gate. He says, you will be my witnesses. That word probably strikes fear and weirdness in the hearts of most people. And it's something that we like to just kind of close our ears and, and glaze over because we think, I have pictures of what that feels like. I have bad tapes in my head of what it means to be a witness to Jesus. And so I'm just going to pretend I didn't hear that part and just do the, the rest of following him. But what is witness? Well, I just want to hit on a few things it's not. It's not an apologist. He's not calling all of us to be able to explain everything. You are free from that. You don't have to have all the answers, okay? I want you to hear me say that and hear him say that. He's not calling all of us to be preachers. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be able to put together a talk or a teaching. And he's not calling us to be salesmen. We don't have to convince anybody of the truth of anything. So you and I are free from all of that. What it is to be a witness is to just represent Jesus faithfully as you know him. It's to represent Jesus faithfully as you know him, as you've experienced his teaching and his doings in your life and in the world. It's to testify to the truth of how you know him to be based on what he says and what he does and how he's engaged with you and the people around you in your life. That's what it is to be a witness. In other words, it's very natural. It's very authentic. It's very you. And he also makes it clear that this kingdom is way bigger than we could ever imagine. And because of that, we will never be able to fully grasp it. We will never be able to fully see our place in it and what's happening and understand everything that's happening around us. And we certainly won't be able to be in control and we certainly won't be comfortable. And I love what happens here because you think, okay, Jesus just gave them the mission again after appearing to them multiple times, resurrected from the dead. Surely they get it now, just like us. And they don't because they watch Jesus go up into heaven and then they just sit there and stare at the sky. And Jesus sends these two angels, these men dressed in white, which I think would be hilarious to be a part of this conversation and to witness this. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go. Translated here, the disciples were wanting more. Does that feel familiar? Okay, I understand the gospel, but like if I could just read one more book, or if I could just hear one more sermon series, or if I could just fully be comfortable with everything and know exactly what was going to happen to me, that's all I need really, just that. Then I could follow him. Then I would know enough. And, and he is saying to us the same thing that he's saying to his first apostles, his first followers. You have everything you need. Stop staring up into the sky and go. Just go. And as you go, 
I will be with you. I dwell in you now. My spirit will live in you and will direct you as you go. You don't need another book. You don't need another podcast. You don't need another sermon series. What you need is what you have in abundance, which is my Holy Spirit. Just walk with me. What you actually need, what you're actually demanding as you stand and look up into heaven is control. And guess what? You're going to look into heaven for the rest of your life because that's something I'm not going to give you. You are not in control. You cannot stay in control. You will miss everything. (laughs) You and I will miss everything if we demand to be in control. What we are trying all the time to do, which he will not let us do, is to erase the need for faith. Okay, yeah, yeah, but if I can just know this, then I'll believe. And he's like, no, 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 you're asking to not believe. You need to believe. You have everything you need to believe and to follow me. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm not asking you to have it all figured out. The pressure is off. I'm the one that's going to be doing the heavy lifting. You just need to go with what you have. And what you have is actually enough. You're just afraid that it might not be because you haven't tested it out yet. But I love you and I'm with you. Why would I ever leave you? Why would I lie to you and set you up and send you out and then watch you fall on your face completely apart from me and say, gotcha. That's not who he is, is it? Is that how he treats you? Like, feel free to audibly answer Is that how Jesus treats you? No. Some people are like, yeah, maybe. (laughs) What Jesus is saying through this episode with the, the angels and the disciples is it's like Jesus is coming to them and to us and saying, go, I'm with you, you have nothing to fear, and I will see you on the other side. This is not your home. We are, we are, on an adventure, we are in a story, we are moving, there's movement toward an ending. And when we get there, we will all be together and we will celebrate because it ends well. And we know that. So we have this promise and then we move into chapter two, the actual empowering, this happening. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We'll just skip over that because we all know what that feels like. Just kidding. Um, So they experienced the power of God. But here's the thing. What are they experiencing the power of God for? It's for the fulfillment of the mission. And I don't know if you're like me, but I often try to divorce the power of God from the mission of God. I want to experience the power of God to make me feel tingly. I want to have a cool story. I want to, to demand and put demands on God and say, if you want me to follow you, then why don't you just show up like this? Why don't you just make this thing float from one end of the room to the other? Or why don't you just set something on fire? Or <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Many things, anything cool and supernatural. But that never has been, and that never will be. The power of God through the Holy Spirit, the supernatural working of God, 
is always to glorify Jesus and to fulfill the mission of God. So the Spirit is really what he's doing. The power that's coming from the Spirit, if you want to boil it down, is really this. It always is, it was, and will be. The empowering is to believe the truth of the gospel. That's what the empowering of the Holy Spirit is. It's the faith for those, these men and for us as we go out into the world. The real power that you and I need is to believe the gospel. Because when we believe the gospel, when we have the faith to know in our bones that the love of God and Jesus, what that means for me and what that means for everyone out in the world that I come across, that gives me boldness and that gives me love to speak it. That's what the power of God is. So here's a question. Are, are we going to speak in tongues? Maybe. We might. Because when we need to speak it, when, when you look in history after this event, the times that people have spoken in tongues, the times that I know of are when people are in places where they're trying to share the gospel and they don't have interpreters and they don't know how to speak the language. And guess what? The Holy Spirit's like, yeah, I got it. That's where I come in. I give you power that's not yours to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to get the word out. But am I going to speak in tongues when I'm talking to all of you? No, because you all speak English. And you see the importance of the imagery of the way that the Spirit comes. It's the mighty rushing wind. It's this power that doesn't come from us. It's this, the, the tongues of fire, the fire is this cleansing. It's, if you want to go back, read Isaiah chapter 6. It's the same experience of a burning coal is touched to Isaiah's lips when he is going to go proclaim God to the world. And you have been cleansed because of this cleansing fire. And that's what God is saying to them and to all of us that are his disciples. As the Holy Spirit is in us, he comes in this cleansing that now we are his. And he, he, is, he is declaring the truth of God through us. He's the one that makes us able to declare it. And this word for divided tongues is like this dividing out. It's this, like, you're all going to be able to speak different tongues because I'm pushing you out because you need to go in all these tongues and declare the mighty works of God to all these people who speak these different languages. You're not going to stay here in this little room and have really cool experiences of the Spirit coming in different shapes. It's not going to be like latte art where the Spirit comes today in tongues of fire, but tomorrow it's going to be like swans. And it's that He is coming and, and it, the, the whole reason he's coming again is for the mission of God to push us out, to compel us in his power to go to all these different places and all these different people. And here's what's really cool. I, I, I've always missed this until now, but, you know, Luke sets up a bunch of parallels between volume one of his account, which is the gospel of Luke, and volume two. And he's trying to show the overlap of these are just two chapters of the same thing. And so this... When Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come upon you, will rest upon you, what he's saying about the way that the Spirit works in us is that it, it is a parallel with the way the Spirit worked with Mary, the mother of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, he said to Mary, and you will be pregnant with Jesus, and he will be born into the world through you. And what Luke is saying in the way that he writes this and the way that what God is saying in the way that he orchestrated this to happen is we are all like Mary in that way. 
the Holy Spirit will come upon each one of us and Jesus will be birthed into the world through us. And that's one of the reasons Jesus says, my followers will do more and better things than I did. Because Jesus isn't just being born once into the world, he's being born thousands and millions of times through all of his people as the Holy Spirit comes upon each one of us. The way that we live, the way that we speak is Jesus being born into the world through us. It's the world is able to see him and engage with him through us as his vessels. That's amazing. Romans 8.11, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and enabled all of his ministry dwells in you, dwells in me. And so now after the empowering, we see the fruit. We see the beginning of this mission um, starting in verse five. What happens as a result of this? The power of God, again, it's the power of God at work to believe the gospel. For those who are going out, it's to believe it so that they could go out. And for those, all of these people from all these different lands that Brian totally pronounced the correct way, just kidding. I don't even know how to pronounce them. But all these people from everywhere, the Spirit is not only empowering the telling, He's empowering the hearing. He is enabling all of these people to hear and believe the truth about the good news of God's love for them through Jesus. They were able to hear it and receive it because of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not a power that we have in and of ourselves to believe the gospel. And five different words are used in this passage, so it made me pay attention. Amazed is used twice. Astonished, perplexed, bewildered. These people that were hearing and believing the gospel, they didn't put all the pieces together. They couldn't go write a a systematic theology book. They were confused. They were amazed, and God was using that as part of the process of bringing them to himself. The word amazed that's used twice in this passage means literally to put out of place. It's taking something you thought you understood and rearranging it to show you. It's, it's like to knock something out of joint just a little bit so that you see the world differently. And it opens you up to a new understanding or a new perspective. And basically what, what's happening here is these people are amazed and things are put out of place because, you, you know, you probably don't know this, but um, Galileans were basically hicks. And so the fact that all of this was happening through Galileans, these people were so confused. And they say in verse 7, they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Like, not only are these people speaking different languages, but these are hicks. These aren't like eloquent preachers. What is happening? I'm, my mind is being put out of place because the person speaking to me, let's make it really personal, like in the encounters that we have with individual people in our everyday lives. God is going to put people out of place in their minds and in their hearts because they're going to say, this shouldn't go together. This is just this guy, Matt, who's just talking to me. But what he's saying is resonating with me very deeply and very personally. It's not just Matt who's talking to me. There is someone else who is talking to me right now as he is bumbling around (laughs) and saying really weird stuff that's confusing me. So the witnessing really is easy. We just go out, be ourselves, and confuse everybody. I mean, seriously, that's not that far from the truth. It's us following Jesus, letting him lead us into places where we're not in control, 
just obeying him and letting our real selves flow out and people are going to be put out of place in a really good way of like, what is happening? And don't worry, again, it's not on you because all this is confusing and then in walks Peter. God will provide people through books, through pastors, through other people who have the gifts of teaching and preaching and explaining and they'll come through just like Peter did and say, hey, actually, I can try to help clear all this up. And they'll give a very orderly account of all these things to kind of put them back in place in a new way. And then it says, as a result of these people going out and witnessing, being able to speak the gospel in all the different languages of all the people around them, and then God providing somebody to kind of give a little bit fuller explanation, 3,000 souls, (laughs) 3,000 people were saved from death to life and came to faith in Jesus. So what's happening? It's the ultimate fulfillment of Pentecost. Pentecost is the Greek word for what this festival was. It's called the Feast of Weeks. It's one of the three big festivals in the the Jewish culture, Passover, Feast of Weeks, and the other one. But it occurred 50 days after Passover. (laughs) It's a celebration. Get this. It's a celebration of the abundant provision of God for an abundant harvest. Just like Jesus, the Passover was always pointing to Jesus. He is the Passover lamb. He's the one whose blood covers us and saves us. Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, was always pointing to the Holy Spirit. He is the abundance, and he will provide an abundance, and there will be an abundant harvest, not of food, but of souls, that God will bring people to himself through all of his knucklehead followers like us that don't know everything and that are confused and that are scared, The Holy Spirit is the abundance. The Holy Spirit is going to provide the abundance. (laughs) So look, look, look where we are now. We're here in Nashville in 2022. This is one of the most diverse places, and it's not an accident that we're all here because people are here from every nation, all walks of life. And so as a result, it shouldn't surprise us that we will all be very diverse and different from one another. We will all be rich, poor, black, white, all races, conservative, liberal, single, married, super educated, not educated at all, introverted, extroverted, artists and accountants. Why? So that everyone here can hear the gospel, the mighty works of God, the love of God for them in Jesus in a language that they can understand. That's why the world doesn't need Tim Keller or anybody that we put up on a pedestal to go out and, man, if, if somebody like that could just, or C.S. Lewis could just go talk to every single person, then we'd be in great shape. That's not how it works because they can't speak the language of all these people. They can't speak blue collar. They can't speak African. They can't speak like all these different ways that men and women are, their life experiences and their backgrounds. But guess what? You can. We can. God is sending us out, and he already has, into this world, into the specific men and women and children that he's put in our lives, and said, you know how to speak that language. Go tell them. Go tell them about who I am. Go tell them about how much I love them. Tell them what I've done in your life. Be confusing. It's okay. The Holy Spirit's going to make it all make sense. And that's where we're going this fall. You know, this, this idea of an exploring board that I'm asking you guys to get on board with is serious. You know, this is the, the seminal moment of the church. This is the mission of God distilled down as basic and original as it gets. 
And so that is the call to us. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it is to be on mission. You know, our vision, if you've been here at Midtown West for any time, our contextualization, our rewording of that mission is that we're on adventure with Jesus to be set free, set others free, and enjoy that freedom together. And so we are going to try our best to help and come alongside all of us this fall and do some things that really help us understand what it is to be a witness, how to think about that in a way that empowers us to go out into the world and follow Jesus on this mission and not have to demand control and not have to have it all together. So would you consider really leaning in for the next three months? Consider this, even if you want to consider being a disciple of Jesus as an exploring board or, or a member of Midtown West or whatever it is, would you really lean in for these three months and just see what happens? I know that's a lot. And so what we're going to do now is... Um, I wanna just take a minute and just have like a, a minute of silence and uh, just talk to God about whatever is stirring in you from this. Just ask him for whatever you need. Tell him where you are and just see what he does. Father, I pray that you would, through your spirit, empower us to, first, before anything else, know your love for us. Lord, that we would know that we are our beloveds and that your desire is for us. That we would know and, and have this beautiful ebb and flow every day, this give and take with you of this intimate covenant love. And then would you while that is simultaneously deepening and happening, would you also send us out on mission? Would you help us to understand and be able to follow you, but understand only to the extent that we need and not to demand full comprehension of what's happening? Would you give us the gift of faith? Would you lead us out with you on this beautiful adventure? And Lord, would you help us to see that today everything is up for grabs? Lord, for those of us who feel like people put their beliefs on us when we were kids and we have these, these bad experiences or these we don't know where we are that help us to see that we're free. We're not obligated to continue doing something that we've always done. Let this be day one, that we're coming with fresh eyes and a fresh mind and a fresh heart to explore you and this mission. And would you come in your power and give us the ability to believe? And I said in, in your name, Jesus, amen.